Is the new work conducive to diversity, equity and inclusion? The short answer appears to be yes. As traditional office structures melt away, so do some of the traditional inhibitors to hiring and retaining a more diverse workforce. But if we dig a little deeper, will we find real progress towards DEI commitments? Well, that's what we're going to do today on this episode of The New Work. Dig a little deeper. I'm Martin Veach, contributing editor at Foundry and CIO.com, and I'm so excited here to be joined by two guests who have a lot to say about DEI in the workplace. With me is Dr. Nika White, founder of Nika White Consulting, a full-service diversity, equity, and inclusion boutique consulting firm. As an award-winning management and leadership consultant, keynote speaker, published author, and executive practitioner for DEI efforts across business, government, nonprofit, and education, Dr. White helps organizations break barriers and integrate DEI into their business frameworks. Her latest book, Inclusion Uncomplicated, gives readers everything they need to become DEI allies, change makers, and inclusive leaders, no matter where they are on the DEI journey. So welcome, Nika. Thank you so much, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to um, wonderful discussion. Absolutely. Me too. Now also joining is Tony Van Winkle, Vice President of Digital Employee Experience at Adobe. Tony is a seasoned digital transformation leader with extensive strategy development, program execution, and organizational change management experience. She currently leads Adobe's Digital Employee Experience Organization, focused on keeping Adobe employees innovative, collaborative, and productive from anywhere. And in addition to her functional role, Tony founded Adobe's Black Employee Network and currently serves as the site council leader at Adobe's headquarters. Tony also joined me for the first episode in this podcast to discuss the rapidly changing workplace and the CIO's role in supporting new ways of working. So it's not just welcome, but it's welcome back, Tony. Martin, thank you so much. I'm excited for the conversation today. Good to be here. Me too. Well, let's kick it off with, hopefully, it's a, a good question for the both of you. Now, the conventional wisdom is that hybrid work models open the door to a more diverse talent pool because they give hiring managers the flexibility to focus on a candidate's skills rather than their physical location. But who's actually walking through that door? Are organizations doing enough to take advantage of this opportunity? Tony. So first, let me start with um, where Adobe is in terms of hybrid work and how we're defining that. Um, So our approach is really hybrid, flexible work. And what that means is we encourage our employees to be in the office about 50% of the time. That could manifest in many different ways, from in the office a few days per week, or having half days, or any accommodation thereof. The real thing is to focus on what is the intention, the intention from where you're working. So we know that people want to convene and they found, you know, a lot of value in doing so um, in, a, in a couple of different ways to build relationships and social capital. And I'm sure we'll, we'll speak about that. But this intentional way of thinking about hybrid work is pretty critical. I think the last thing I'll say, or actually maybe two things is, is we expect our leaders to create norms for their teams. And that includes kind of fostering a culture where individuals, teams in our business can thrive. So I say all that to say this, is 
at the corporate level and all the levels underneath that, your DEI goals need to be understood and agreed as a critical part of creating a culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That, that baseline of expectation, your you know, aspirational goals, et cetera, are what we need to build on. And so um, I, I'd really like to you know, hear more broadly from Nika and what she's seen in, in other organizations, both on how they're defining what hybrid work is, but also how they're seeing hybrid work play out. And then I'll add a few more comments about um, what this means to us in terms of place. I so look forward to this conversation. And Tony, what you just shared is a great setup for um, just amplifying the, the work that Adobe is doing to ensure intentionality. I heard you use that word, and I think it's very appropriate. Um, it's not, as you mentioned, about where people are working, but it's also how they are working. So centering conversations today on the hybrid work model is very appropriate. I too believe that there is a great intersection of a lens of DEI that needs to be brought to this hybrid work conversation. It is all about designing new ways of working to support and empower all employees. And in that regard, um, what I am seeing is that a lot of organizations, they may have missed the, the lens of DEI that needs to be directly centered around how in which they are developing these models for their um, associates to be able to thrive and, um, and to perform at a high level. When I think about the ways in which organizations are engaged in creating a hybrid work model that really is conducive to all the needs of all the people, there are three things that come to mind for me. One of which is the, the promising potential, right, of a remote hybrid workplace in that it can eliminate bias. It can certainly create a broader opportunity for individuals to not be confined to geography, to be in the consideration set for employment opportunities and growth. Um, but secondly, I also think about plausible problems. And that's you know really just to amplify that there are also challenges from a DEIB perspective, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in a remote and hybrid workplace that if organizations are not careful to consider the implications, they may not readily available um, provide the type of support that's needed for that, that growth and that, that spirit of thriving um, that needs to occur. So this brings me to the last thing that comes up, and that is positive practices and strategies to sustain a lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion within the work environment. And I look forward to delving deeper into um, some of those strategies and, and further thoughts. Yeah, well, let's go a little deeper. I mean, maybe there's some sort of consensus that the concept of a boundaryless workplace can help organizations address the D aspect, at least, of DEI. But what about the equity and the inclusion factors? To your point, Nika, um, I guess that's where potentially some real big challenges can arise. I agree, Martin. And there are three questions I think organizations must consider and really spend some time from a leadership perspective unpacking together to understand how they are going to arrive at this place of an effective hybrid um, remote work situation that is allowing everyone you know, full opportunity for success. The first question is the how. 
how do we bridge the experience gap between employees that are in person and those that are working remotely? The second question is all about the who. Who on the team may have greater challenges to overcome just to participate? And what ways can we best support those individuals? And how can we be at the helm of providing that support in a way that is sustainable? And then thirdly, it's the what. What can we do to bridge the gap that I just mentioned is certainly prevalent um, as it relates to access. And organizations have to think about how can we proactively accommodate those team members with different needs around remote work? And we can't solve for those three questions unless we are intentionally um, identifying what the needs are. And they have to be the needs based upon the people that are impacted, which means conversations have to be happening throughout the organizations rather than people at the organizational leadership level just making assumptions and making decisions. And I've seen a lot of that that has created some challenges for many organizations as they've been navigating this distributed workforce environment. For me, technology will play a significant role in helping us, um, you know, kind of level the playing field of work. And so when I think about developing inclusive, equitable experiences, um, one of the things that I do on my team is use human-centered design. And when you use human-centered design versus a technology-first approach, you really get under the skin of um, who you're, you know, trying to solve problems for and create that empathy of what people are navigating. And so from an inclusion perspective, what can you do from a technology, you know, sol solving um, a place when you have parts of your organization that are remote, uh, parts that are, you know, kind of toggling between being at home and in an office, and so on and so forth. And what we found is a, a few examples of bringing people into conversations. And so um, in, in some of our collaboration spaces, we've created channels that mimic virtual water coolers where anybody can uh, participate. Now, I will say that meeting somebody face-to-face -face in real life is awesome always. And so we encourage, you know, people to do that community building. But from an inclusion perspective, can we use digital methods to create uh, that social uh, capital that people desire when they're working in uh, corporations? Then from a technology perspective, we start to think about how do we create equitable experiences? So we can include you. We can get you in the door in a distributed model, but how do we keep you here? And how do you feel that you belong here and that your experiences are equitable? And that's where we start to get examples for skill building. Um, how do we enable things like digital learning? How do you get all voices heard in the room? It was pretty easy when we were all you know, three by two inch boxes on a screen around the world, regardless if you were the janitor or the CEO, you all came through the same channel. But how do we do that now if half the people are in the room and half the people are virtual? What we found is that the tables have somewhat turned. Sometimes it's an advantage to be out of the room because 
introverts and, and people are able to chime in digitally into the conversation. So I think we need to consider, you know, not only from a policy and place perspective, we need to consider how technology can play a role. I want to share a couple examples of ways in which I have seen this hybrid work model um, create opportunities that really do speak to that level of inclusivity and belonging and equity in the workplace. The first example that comes to mind is, and we've touched on this before, but it's, it's how remote work can help break down location barriers. Without the restriction of location, you know, organizations have the liberty to recruit diverse talent from anywhere around the globe. And similarly, employees can choose where they want to operate based on so many different factors. It could be location preference. It could be cost of living. It could be the need to be proximate to friends and family because maybe you're a caregiver for someone, variety of reasons. The second example that comes to mind is how remote work can help close the gender gap. And this is what I mean by that. Remote operations, it is known to offer better opportunities and greater flexibility for women in particular. And I say that because it's attractive to particularly single working mothers because it enables them to pursue professional careers, whereas having to be confined to being in a workspace um, by you know, specific parameters can be, can be a challenge. And so that, that definitely is something that we're seeing from an inclusion perspective and equity perspective that's making a difference. Thirdly, I think about all the individuals who find it um, easier and more convenient um, especially when they have special needs. And what I mean by that is right now there are millions, millions of workers with um, special needs. And it's common for those individuals with disabilities to pass on an opportunity for which they very much are qualified for because of challenges related to commuting, accessibility. Tony, you brought that up within the workplace and more. But working remotely, it allows those employees to be in an atmosphere that's more customized to their needs. So think about what that does to them mentally, what that does to them from a performance productivity perspective. It, it make, makes a tremendous difference. And then the last example that I will bring up is how remote work can help eliminate visual bias in the workplace. So here's what I mean by that. Visual bias can lead to assumptions about a person based on their appearances, right? Such as skin color, hairstyle, fashion, whether or not they may have tattoos. So many examples I could speak to regarding that. Such visual bias may make it challenging for someone to find work or to advance in their careers because it's a constant reminder, right? And while we know that there needs to be some deeper learning to help shift those mindsets, it does create um, a level of safety, right, for people to feel like they can be authentic. Um, it helps to eliminate those visual elements from work. And this is even more beneficial if it relates to people that are part of um, traditionally marginalized populations. And so when you think about race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, in a remote working environment, those visual biases are less apparent. And so that doesn't mean that we don't have to work incredibly hard to ensure that microaggressions, micro inequities do not show forth in a remote work environment because there's still the propensity for that. But there is that benefit of um, eliminating or minimizing from a visual bias perspective. So thank you. Thank you for that comment. You know, uh, I was thinking about our conversation about microaggressions and how, you know, technology could potentially um, 
really help with that. And one of one of the examples, my team actually uses this, and it's not just because we we use this capability in the office, but people personally get an advantage from um, artificial intelligence embedded in some of the capabilities. And the one that I'm thinking of specifically is the speaker coach that's in Microsoft Teams. You can turn on the speaker coach and that coach will let you know if your language is inclusive and offer suggestions on how you can speak more clearly, have much more inclusive language. The other thing that comes to mind is things like leveraging text analytics for job descriptions or even getting digital exhaust so that you have the data from collaboration and other tools within your ecosystem to see where those biases that you're talking about start to emerge. And you know, hopefully you can start to flip the, flip the conversation. Um, what, what are your thoughts about you know, kind of digitally enabling people to be more inclusive? I love that, Tony. Your examples are, are, are great. Another one that I have seen work quite effectively is, you know, people sometimes are microaggressed by individuals not being able to pronounce their name correctly. And so they will just continue to mispronounce their name and won't put the effort forth. But there are tools now where people can have the pronunciation um, from an audio um, perspective so that it gives individuals the ability on the front end before they start to engage to know how to pronounce someone's name correctly. And it may seem like such a small gesture, but it definitely speaks to someone feeling a sense of belonging. You know, feeling invisible in the workplace is also a form of oppression and microaggression. But if someone has taken the time to pronounce your name correctly, to learn how to do that, it helps to bridge that level of trust, that connectivity, and it causes people to feel seen and heard and valued. So I am a big fan of all of the multitude of ways that technology has helped to advance um, the, the learning and the sensitivity around inclusion and belonging efforts. Two things I'm taking from this. One is reminding me how much we learned from the lockdown and uh, these enforced new experiences. And two, the role of technology in potentially enabling uh, a more DEI-style environment with some positive cues and uh, technology aids. But look, I want to talk a little bit about HR and HCM. Uh, given what's happened with the Great Resignation, everything, everything we know about how important it is, especially in a knowledge economy, to be able to hire and keep top talent, these efforts are so important to an organization's ability to hire, to retain, and develop talent, I think. But where should HR, IT, and maybe some of the other C-suite leaders be prioritizing to ensure they get this right? Yeah, I'd love to, to lead in on this and, and very interested in hearing your thoughts as well, Tony. But the, there, there are three things that come to mind that I feel like HR and, and leadership should have top of mind as they're navigating best ways to um, create models that are successful from a hybrid perspective. The first was unequal access to leaders and information. When we consider how important FaceTime is with key decision makers, we know that it's really critical for someone's career trajectory. And while those one-to-one -one meetings and team meetings can certainly have a common frequency, whether on Zoom or in, in the office, employees choosing to work two or three days from home or even the full time from home, they lack the opportunity for some of those ad hoc meeting conversations to occur. 
And the reason this becomes named as unequal access for leaders and HR to be mindful of is that it creates a situation whereby people um, who are remote or hybrid may not be easily given the opportunities to develop rapport where let's say a leader, a VP of the organization is passing by in the hallway, you know, you can kind of quickly stop that person and engage with them. Sometimes, you know, those conversations can provide really good context, context that can be um, very useful to someone who is looking to show forth their best effort in the workplace. The second thing that I mentioned was favoring in-office employees. And this is very much similar to the first point, but it really gets at the importance of educating around proximity bias which is the tendency for people in positions of power and authority to show favoritism or even, you know, give preferential treatment to employees who are close to them physically, right? It is a mental shortcut that allows people managers to make decisions about performance, promotions, hiring based on familiarity rather than objective criteria. And so I think that's something that um, HR needs to be aware of and needs to be educating and putting some policies in place just to make sure that that doesn't become a huge challenge. And then the last thing that I mentioned that I want to unpack a little bit further is the less diverse office spaces. It is so important for organizations to really get the goal of diversity and representation right. And with that in mind, something that I think is so important to bring to the conversation is that most underrepresented groups experience microaggressions in the workplace, if not all. And even when these are the result of good intentions, they still have impact. We talk a lot in this DEI space around there being a difference between intent versus impact. You don't have to own the intent, but we all should certainly be owning the impact of our actions. And so when you think about all of the ways people can feel more themselves at home and to be authentic, I consider employees who identify as non-binary. They can more easily display their pronouns, you know, in their Zoom screen than face the awkward statements, you know, face-to-face of having to explain themselves. I think about a nursing mom who can avoid being asked how long she plans to breastfeed when taking a moment to pump, right? Um, And then even considering people with disabilities, they don't encounter unnecessary offers of assistance that could be very defeating, right, and deflating for those individuals. And so... I bring that to the fore because when we think about who is most likely to be favored working in the office, it's the employees with the fewest barriers to do so. And if we break that down even further, it becomes this population that is really narrow, predominantly able-bodied, white, cisgender males. And so I think that's something important to consider because if we talk about the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a workplace, that value is only there if we're managing it appropriately. And so managers and leaders in HR certainly need to make sure they're having those thoughts top of mind. Yeah, I, I love all that you, um, you know, spoke about there, Nika, because one of the things that we're trying to drive at Adobe and some of the discussions that I've had with my peers in the industry, whether that be CDOs, CIOs, um, or CHROs or chief people officers is this notion that the real change will come from signaling that, um, you know, our leaders really care about outcomes. And that starts to eliminate this kind of country club bias that you have or proximity bias, um, we can call it, that if you're sitting next to me, 
Um, I know that you're getting the work done. And if you're somewhere, you know, out there in the world, um, I can't see you working. So I'm uncertain about, you know, what you're contributing. If we can get more concrete and, and leaders can set the right expectations through very defined outcomes, then we can have a better dialogue. And so one of the things we're doing is, you know, the implementation of OKRs, um, objectives and key results that really start to define how are you contributing to moving the needle on whatever your value proposition is for the business. I think the other thing is giving the organization leaders and employees the ability to create community, um, whether you're in the room or not. And so some of the things that we've done there is really created um, a mobile app that says that, hey, your office could be a home or it could be the airport or it literally could be an office. How could you engage in that dialogue from wherever you are? Um, a really good example of this is um, the intern show. <laughs> so we had, we had interns from around the world, across the country, um, work within the environment to create an application for them and by them. And they created a podcast and told us which leaders they wanted to speak to, and they recorded that. And suddenly they were creating the world that they wanted to work in. And the likelihood of them coming back to our organization is very, very high because they felt that they contributed. They felt that they could truly be themselves and they could do that from anywhere. So much to unpack there. But to close, what, what is making you most confident, closing thoughts here? about DEI and changes to the world of work? And where do we need to go better? Who wants to go first? I, I can, I'll go first and let's let Nika close us out. Um, you know, as I speak to my peers in the industry, I am encouraged by the fact that people are moving to human-centered design versus technology-centered design for their hybrid work approach. Uh, this is encouraging because one of the most valuable assets in an organization, at least from my perspective, are the humans that work there. And so probably the biggest challenge with that is ensuring that the manager, which is, by the way, the reason why most people leave companies. <laughs> so we need to enable our managers to navigate the tension between our senior leadership and employee expectations and employee needs. So um, I'm super encouraged uh, by the future. I'm encouraged by having this chance to speak with you, Martin and Nika today, uh, because with you in the world, I think we have a better chance of making this inclusive for everybody. Oh, so beautifully stated, Tony, and I do appreciate that. This has been such a rich conversation. Um, you know, I guess the thing that I would like to close this out with is um, just considering the individual accountability, right, into this broader context of the way in which people like to work and how to allow people to show up at their best. I know we've spent a lot of time in this conversation um, really targeting what leaders can do, what HR can do, but I don't want it to be missed 
that this work belongs to all of us. The work of creating a culture that is healthy, that is, um, you know, uh, inclusive of all, it belongs to each of us. We all have influence that we can leverage, you know, within the circles and the relationships that we have. And so I just want to encourage people to lean into that. I think that we all need to set individual inclusion commitments and find ways to impact our working environment. Um, you can think about investing in the well-being and fair treatment of others. What does that look like? You know, becoming an ally to and advocating for targets of um, with mistreatment, right? And then just supporting others to achieve their goals. Um, I often share that no one can show up at their best in any environment if they're always questioning whether or not they belong. Do I belong here? Am I seen? Am I valued? Am I heard? Do I have full opportunity for success? So I love, Tony, how part of your parting remarks were to just um, amplify the human-centered approach to the work. And I think that's really key. Yeah, Tony, Nika, it's been such an amazing discussion. I know I can't thank you, uh, both of you, enough for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Martin. Now, it's clear that all of our roles are, are evolving, as was mentioned just there, and certainly the CIO role is evolving too. And nowhere is that more apparent as we explore these and other issues about technology's role in the new world of work. For new episodes and other resources on this crucial topic, visit thenewwork.cio.com. For CIO, for Adobe, for Microsoft, I'm Martin Veach. Thanks so much for joining. This podcast has been produced by IDG Communications Incorporated, doing business at Foundry in association with its sponsors, Adobe and Microsoft.